All right, everyone, we are back. We are in the middle of a two-part series on emotion regulation for your autistic child and for you. Last episode, if you haven't tuned in, be sure to go listen to that. Like, you should pause right now. Go back, listen to that episode. It's only 20 minutes and then you can come back to this episode once you listen to part one of this series because having the foundation and the information that I share in that episode is really going to make this episode pack a punch. Real quick summary in case you forget, we talked all about how you modeling effective emotion regulation is super important for your child and the process of co-regulation. We also talked about what emotion regulation is so you could really understand it. Then we dove into different reasons that we see higher levels of emotion dysregulation in autistic children. And in that, I gave you really specific examples to think about how it applies to your children. Now, in this part, we are going to dive into actionable tips. What that means is you're going to walk away having strategies to support your child and to support yourself. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental mindset coach specializing in autism. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life, from providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent. We dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. Let's dive into talking about tips to more effectively support your child's emotion regulation and to support yours too. One of the things I want to say right off the bat is with emotion regulation and being able to regulate as a family, it is going to take consistency. Nothing that I share here is going to be a quick fix. Talked about deep breathing earlier and parents being like, it's not working. And some of it is the approach, but I also often find it's hard to change. It's hard to implement new things, but that maybe the skill hasn't been done enough. It hasn't had enough trials. It hasn't been repeated enough. And one of the things that I'm going to encourage you to do is to actually practice these skills even when your child isn't dysregulated. It's going to be easier for them to learn these skills in a more regulated state than it is going to be a dysregulated state. This is also true for you. When you are dysregulated yourself, you're overwhelmed, you're not gonna learn as effectively. You're not gonna be able to implement as effectively either. And so this is where getting those trials when the whole family is more calm can be so critical. Let's talk about what some of these are. The first tip is to model what you want and to disengage from the argument. One of the things that tends to happen for children that have high verbal ability is they tend to explain everything, right? And then you're trying to explain everything. And I like to say it's like an analogy of pushing. If you think about two people pushing each other, one person pushes, the other person pushes back, what starts to happen is you have a fight. It goes back and forth. And this is verbally what can happen when individuals are dysregulated. But if you actually can disengage from the argument and instead model what you want, this can be really effective. And I want you to, again, think of this pushing analogy. This might be like someone pushing you and you just taking a step back. Soon, not that any of this is fun, but 
it, it doesn't become fun, right? To fight with someone who isn't reacting back. I want you to kind of think of that, that visual in your head when you're trying to disengage from the argument. So actually modeling what you want. What do you want them to do instead? Can you show them? Can you tell them calmly, right? Calm voice might also be one of the things that you're modeling. Maybe you're showing them deep breathing as well. Maybe you're saying, I am really, you as the parent are saying this, I'm a 10 out of 10 right now. I'm going to take some deep breaths and you just sit there and you breathe and you, you really slow down that process. Yes. Maybe even while your kid is like yelling, it is so hard to do. I do not want to make this sound like, again, it's not a quick fix. It's going to take time, but I will tell you, these are evidence-based strategies that we know actually work. And I'm gonna touch on this at the end, but if you need support in this, you can work with the therapist to actually help you navigate this because I know it's challenging. So that was the first tip, model what you want and disengage from the argument. Tip number two is get on their level, literally get down eye to eye with them. So why this is effective is one, it's going to be easier for your child to communicate with you in this way, particularly autistic children that have difficulty communicating by definition of their autism. So getting on their level is making it easier for them to communicate with you. It also shows more of a collaborative effort that you guys are in it together. It's not you versus them. You are a team going at this. I think it just helps to kind of automatically bring down the tension levels. You're not in this position where you're towering over them. Maybe you have a loud voice because you're frustrated. Again, understandable, but that isn't ultimately getting you to your desired outcome. So get on their level. And then related to this, I want you to keep your language really simple. Try not to over explain things. Try to give short sentences. Let them know what you want them to do instead of saying, I don't want you to do this. Tell them what you do want them to do and keep it simple. Tip number three is actually pausing before you interact. Obviously, being reactive, it's super easy just to jump into like, I got to explain this to you or problem solving mode. But by taking a pause and collecting yourself, you are going to be so much more clear-minded when you are interacting with your child and also trying to support your child. And so this pause for you, it could be just like you're still in the moment, but you're taking a few breaths. You don't even need to announce you're doing that. If you need to collect yourself before you help them regulate, then do that. Sometimes though, especially for older children or children that have more verbal abilities, you might say something like, we will discuss this shortly. I need to take a break right now. Not only you're modeling, right? That taking a break is really healthy. It's really effective. But then that gives you the opportunity to collect yourself and be able to go into this more regulated. Number four is to normalize feelings and talk about them, validate them in this process. So if you noticed, as I was talking, I stopped multiple times and talked about how emotions and feelings are valid and that we we don't want to make them a bad thing, right? Feeling anger is not bad. It is human. Feeling all of these emotions is unique to the human experience. We do not want to take those away. We do not want to mute them. Instead, what we're trying to do, though, is shift a little bit in how that anger is coming out and how we handle that anger. So one of the things, again, going back to the language, it could be something like, 
I understand you're really angry right now. I need you to keep your hands to yourself. They're like hitting a sibling, something like that. Or you could even say it is not okay to hit. I know you're really angry and it is not okay to hit. I'm gonna help us all stay safe right now. Let's do a big bear squeeze. And I'm gonna recommend you practice this ahead of time so that your child isn't like, what is going on? But sometimes autistic children love that physical input. You gotta figure out though if that's right for your child. So normalizing feelings and talking about them both in the moment, but I also want you to talk about feelings outside of these intense moments. So as you're going through your day, again, modeling, you might say, I feel sad right now. Think about what's developmentally appropriate for your child, but I will say actually naming your emotions, talking about them, letting your child know it is okay to have them is really a helpful process. And some of the ways that we normalize feelings is them actually seeing you have feelings and reactions. Again, the feelings themselves are not bad. It's what we do with those feelings. This might be, I don't know, controversial, maybe isn't quite the right word, but a little bit of pressing of buttons is I truly believe it is okay to cry in front of your child. You don't have to be this strong person that always holds it together. And that goes for two reasons. One, it teaches them it's okay to cry. And we we wanna make sure we are allowing them to cry. Crying is so incredibly healthy. And the second reason is then you're not suppressing it. Because a lot of times you can't leave that moment and the tears are coming up and you just say, suck it up and hold it in. That is emotional suppression, which we're gonna talk about in a minute. But I really believe it is okay to cry in front of your child. I always say, again, keep it developmentally appropriate. For example, if you have a family member pass away or a close friend pass away, that is so normal for your child to see you cry. Now, with your preschooler, you might not go into exactly how the person died and everything that you're experiencing and all the overwhelming emotions. You know, that's what I mean by keeping it developmentally appropriate. But actually having conversations around these things helps to normalize them. Okay. Pretty much the first four focused on your child and what you can do to support your child. Model what you want and disengage from the argument, number one. Number two is getting on their level and using simple language so it helps with communication. Number three is pause before you interact. Number four is normalize feelings and talk about them and actually validate that emotions are healthy and normal and part of the human experience. Number five, is all about you. And I think this is one of the most highly underrated things. And this is something that if you work with child therapists, I'll be honest, they don't often talk about because they're really focused on your child. And this is where I have shifted my approach as a psychologist to include the whole family approach, which I developed because I really see, as we talked about the interaction of child and parent here, I see the value and I know how important it is for you as a parent to be in a healthy place and for you to feel supported. So this is something um, I have no problem talking about in session with parents, but having time for you to feel your feelings separate from your child, right? I talked about it's okay for them to see some of your feelings, but I want you to create a space where you are actually allowed to feel. You are giving yourself permission to feel. Having this feeling time, maybe it's a little bit you set aside each day where you're just letting it out and you're letting it flow. 
because here's the reason this is important. One of the most common things I see is emotional suppression from parents, particularly parents of autistic children. You learned it as a kid, most likely, because way back when, when we grew up, we weren't as emotion aware as we are now. And it was just embedded into our culture, you know, saying things like, oh, you're fine, stop crying. Or I even remember, and maybe you've heard me say this before, if you've been following me like on social media accounts for a while, I will never forget the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's literally teaching emotional suppression, y'all. It's saying that if someone says something mean to you, that, that you're not allowed to have a feeling or an emotion over it. Or another one is like, don't worry, be happy. Like, okay, it is okay to worry. It is okay to have negative emotions. So it was more embedded in our culture and it was more accepted to practice emotional suppression. But now fast forward, what we're seeing is that our generation and even younger generations are starting to need more support and therapy. And there is this relationship between how we're processing emotions and things like anxiety and depression and all of that. So we learned it when we were young, which means unlearning it. The other thing though, is it often is reinforced because it feels really adaptive, like get shit done motto of like, suck it up, let's keep going. And you're so productive. Sometimes we don't view feeling our emotions as productive, but here's the thing I wanna tell you is feelings don't disappear. They're gonna be in there somewhere and they're gonna come out somehow. And so this is one of my favorite examples because I know, I shouldn't say I know every parent has had this example, but, probably you can relate to this, is your child has a glass of milk and accidentally knocks it over. And then all of a sudden you find yourself like screaming over a glass of spilled milk. And it's later you're like, why did I yell like that? Like it really wasn't that big of a deal. More likely than not, it's because you've been suppressing all these other emotions and it just got channeled to the wrong thing. It gets channeled to a glass of milk. And then your child is being like, I'm, I'm sorry, like that was an accident. And so this is why it's so healthy to actually take time and process our emotions. The other thing is your child might be sensing your tension as you're trying to suppress things. Again, these emotions don't disappear and they might be picking up on your tension. I think that providing time to, for you to actually process is one of the most highly underrated skills. And dealing with your own emotion you know what? First off, you deserve that, right? You deserve to be able to experience your emotions in a healthy way. But secondly, if you want to see a change in your child's emotions, it takes work and it will take you being regulated. That change, and I say this lovingly, the change that you so desperately want your child to make, it starts with you. And so this is exactly something that I'm going to be diving more into in my masterclass. If you are listening right now and you're interested in the masterclass, I have linked all the information in the show notes. The last point I want to make before I wrap up this episode is to don't be afraid to seek help. You can work with a child therapist on everything that I described. I find that super, super effective. That's something that I work with parents a lot on and families a lot on is this effective emotion regulation. 
medication. I also want to mention that sometimes medication can be an answer too. Of course, let's insert all clinical disclaimers here. I'm not saying or making any clinical recommendations, but I want to just give you some knowledge real quick on medications. I also want to caveat that I am not a provider that can prescribe medications. And so my knowledge of medications is based on reading it in the literature and talking to other providers, but I think it's helpful to know. So I always say we really want to make sure we're supporting kids' skill development, and that's what therapy is for. But Sometimes medications can be adjunctive and are necessary for some kids. Like an example of this is if your child is engaging in a lot of self-injurious behavior, it could be because of emotion dysregulation and irritability. So there are actually currently two medications that are FDA approved for autistic children. It's Abilify and Risperidol to target irritability in particular. And irritability and emotion dysregulation tend to be synonymous. Now, keeping in mind, Again, not recommending this. You absolutely need to talk to, to your medical team about this because there are a lot of side effects with these medications. They are antipsychotics, but we also know that for some kids, being able to have control of themselves is really, really important. And then I've also seen, and this is anecdotal, but I've also seen, you know, autistic children have a lot of success with SRIs, which is like an antidepressant. It also works on anxiety because if we can kind of take off that edge, as well as stimulant medications for ADHD can impact emotion regulation because like we talked about is some of these like core deficits associated with ADHD could be impacting the emotion dysregulation. And then the last piece is I want you to consider if you need the support working with a therapist or a coach yourself. Like I mentioned, you're likely going to have to unlearn some patterns that you learned and you've been doing for many, many years, and that's hard work. And listen, you will feel better by learning effective emotional processing. I'm going to tell you outcomes of this are more joy, less anxiety and overwhelm, more effective communication, less outbursts. Like imagine a world where you were experiencing this. But I know what's most important to you is how it impacts your child. And I hope through this episode, you saw that you effectively emotionally regulating yourself is going to have a dramatic effect on your autistic child and even your non-autistic children as well, and likely your relationship. So it really has this effect on the whole family system when you pour into you, when you focus on yourself. I don't mean this in this cliche way of like, pour into yourself first before you pour into others. Like this is like real, right? Literally focusing on yourself, it is going to have a dramatic impact on your family. So To summarize, we talked about co-regulation and how children learn effective emotion regulation. We also talked about the reasons that we see higher rates of emotion dysregulation in autism, as well as five tips for effective emotion regulation. We also started to touch on how emotional suppression may be impacting you, and it may be time to unlearn behaviors. If you want to dive more into this topic, learn real take-home application for effective emotion regulation, we're going to go even deeper in my masterclass. So be sure to check that out. All right, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tate. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. 
You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other like-minded autism parents. It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism and your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.